Welcome to the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. This podcast will be a sharing of part of my morning routine as I prepare for the day with the Word of God. We will be partaking of Puritan prayers from the Valley of Vision, each day's morning devotional from Charles Haddon Spurgeon's Morning and Evening, and we'll be reading from the Legacy Standard Bible, which is the newest and, I believe, the most accurate translation of the Word of God. We will be following a Bible reading calendar that provides for reading the whole Bible in a year that was created by Minister Robert Murray McShane for his congregation back in 1842, and that has been a part of my daily reading for over six years now. Good morning and welcome to the Friday morning, November 18th, 2022 episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. Um, This is the morning segment of it. Um, I'm Wayne Floyd, your host. Uh, We've commenced to doing this slightly differently. differently. I do a morning section and an evening section. The morning section, um, I do some prayers and devotion and reading from the Bible. And in the evening, I again do some more prayers and devotion, but I also give a short message. At this time, we're working through the book of Ephesians. We're in chapter 5 towards the end of it. So let's go ahead and let's jump straight in and get started. Um, We're going to start because it's the sixth day of the week, being Friday. We're going to open this morning with the six-day morning prayer, the gospel. O thou most high, creator of the ends of the earth, governor of the universe, judge of all men, head of the church, savior of sinners. Thy greatness is unsearchable, thy goodness infinite, thy compassions unfailing, thy providence boundless, thy mercies ever new. We bless thee for the words of salvation. How important, suitable, encouraging are the doctrines, promises, and invitations of the gospel of peace. We are lost, But in it thou hast presented to us a full, free, and eternal salvation. Weak, but here we learn that help is found in one that is mighty. Poor, but in him we discover unsearchable riches. Blind, but we find he has treasures of wisdom and knowledge. We thank thee for thy unspeakable gift. Thy Son is our only refuge, foundation, hope, confidence. We depend upon his death, rest in his righteousness, desire to bear his image. May his glory fill our minds, his love reign in our affections, his cross inflame us with ardor. Let us as Christians fill our various situations in life, escape the snares to which they expose us, discharge the duties that arise from our circumstances, enjoy with moderation their advantages, improve with diligence their usefulness, and may every place and company we are in be benefited by us. Amen. All right, now our Spurgeon devotion for this morning. This is the morning devotion for November 18th. The text for it is Song of Solomon 412 or Song of Songs 412. A spring shut up, a fountain sealed. In this metaphor, which has reference to the inner life of a believer, we have very plainly the idea of secrecy. It is a spring shut up, just as there were springs in the east over which an edifice was built so that none could reach them save those who knew the secret entrance. So is the heart of a believer when it is renewed by grace. There is a mysterious life within which no human skill can touch. It is a secret which no other man knoweth, nay, which the very man who is the possessor of it cannot tell to his neighbor. The text includes not only secrecy, but separation. It is not the common spring of which every passerby may drink, 
It is one kept and preserved from all others. It is a fountain bearing a particular mark, a king's royal seal, so that all can perceive that it is not a common fountain, but a fountain owned by a proprietor and placed specially by itself alone. So is it with the spiritual life. The chosen of God was, were separated in the eternal decree. They were separated by God in the day of redemption, and they are separated by the possession of a life which others have not, and it is impossible for them to feel at home with the world or to delight in its pleasures. There is also the idea of sacredness. The spring shut up is preserved for the use of some special person, and such is the Christian's heart. It is a spring kept for Jesus. Every Christian should feel that he has God's seal upon him, and he should be able to say with Paul, From henceforth let no man trouble me, for I bear in my body the mark of the Lord Jesus. Another idea is prominent. It is that of security. Oh, how sure and safe is the inner life of the believer. If all the powers of earth and hell could combine against it, that immortal principle must still exist. For he who gave it pledged his life for its preservation. And who is he that shall harm you when God is your protector? All right. Our scripture reading for this morning is First Chronicles 11 and 12, Hebrews 13, Amos 7, and Luke 2. So 1 Chronicles 11, it looks like we're finally out of all the genealogies and names. So here we go. Then all Israel gathered to David at Hebron and said, Behold, we are your bone and your flesh. Previously, even when Saul was king, you were the one who led out and brought in Israel. And Yahweh your God said to you, You will shepherd my people Israel, and you will be a ruler over my people Israel. So all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron. And David cut a covenant with them in Hebron before Yahweh. Then they anointed David king over Israel, according to the word of Yahweh, through Samuel. Then David and all Israel went to Jerusalem, that is, Jebus, and the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land, were there. Then the inhabitants of Jebus said to David, You shall not come in here. Nevertheless, David captured the fortress of Zion, that is, the city of David. And David said, Whoever strikes down a Jebusite first shall be a chief and commander. Joab, the son of Zeruiah, went up first, so he became chief. Then David lived in the stronghold, therefore it was called the city of David. And he built the city all around, from the Milo even to the surrounding area. And Joab repaired the rest of the city. And David became greater and greater, and Yahweh of hosts was with him. Now these are the heads of the mighty men whom David had who gave him strong support in his kingdom, together with all Israel to make him king according to the word of Yahweh concerning Israel. These constitute the list of the mighty men whom David had. Jeshobeam, the son of Hakmonite, the chief of the thirty, he lifted up his spear against three hundred slain by him at one time. And after him was Eleazar, the son of Dodo, the Ahoahite, who was one of the three mighty men. He was with David at Pasdamim, now the Philistines had gathered together there to battle, and there was a portion of the field full of barley, and the people fled from before the Philistines. But they took their stand in the, in the midst of that portion and delivered it, and struck down the Philistines. So Yahweh saved them by a great salvation. Then three of the thirty chief men went down, went down to the rock to David to the cave of Adullam, while the camp of the Philistines was camping in the valley of Rephaim. And David was then in the fortress, while the garrison of the Philistines was then in Bethlehem. 
Then David had a craving and said, Oh, that someone would give me water to drink from the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. So the three broke through the camp of the Philistines and drew water from the well of Bethlehem, which was by the gate, and carried it and brought it to David. Nevertheless, David was not willing to drink it, but poured it out to Yahweh. And he said, Be it far from me before my God that I should do this. Shall I drink the blood of these men who went at the risk of their lives? For at the risk of their lives they brought it. Therefore he was not willing to drink it. These things the three mighty men did. Now Abishai, the brother of Joab, was chief of the thirty, and he swung his spear against three hundred who were slain by him, and he had a name as well as the thirty. Of the three in the second rank he was the most honored, and became their commander. However, he did not attain to the first three. Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, the son of a valiant man of Kabziel, mighty in deeds, struck down the two sons of Ariel of Moab. He also went down and struck down a lion in the midst of a pit on a snowy day. He had also struck down an Egyptian, an impressive man, five cubits tall. Now in the Egyptian's hand was a spear like a weaver's beam, but he went down to him with a club and snatched the spear from the Egyptian's hand and killed him with his own spear. These things Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, did, and had a name as well as the three mighty men. Behold, he was honored among the thirty but he did not attain to the three, and David appointed him over his guard. Now the mighty men of the military forces were Asahel, the brother of Joab, Elhanan, the son of Dodo of Bethlehem, Shamoth, the Herorite, Helez, the Pelonite, Ira, the son of Ikesh, the Tekoite, Abiezer, the Anathathite, Sibachai, the Hushathite, Eli, Eli, the Ahoite, Maharai, the Netophathite, Heled, the son of Bana, the Netophathite, Ithai, the son of Ribai, of Gibeah, of the sons of Benjamin, Beniah, the Pirithonite, Harai, of the brooks of Gash, Gaash, Abiel, the Arbathite, Asmaveth, the Baharumite, Eliaba, the Shalbanite, the sons of Hashem, the Gizanite, Jonathan, the son of Shagi, the Hararite, Ahiram, the son of Sakar, the Herorite, Elipal, the son of Ur, Hefer, the Mecharathite, Ahijah, the Pelonite, Hezro, the Carmelite, Naarai, the son of Ezbi, Joel, the brother of Nathan, Mibhar, the son of Hagrai, Zelek, the Ammonite, Naharai, the Barathite, the armor bearer of Joab, the son of Zeruiah, Ira, the Ithrite, Gareb, the Ithrite, Uriah the Hittite, Zabad the son of Ahalai, Adina the son of Sheza the Reubenite, a chief of the Reubenites, and thirty with him, Hanan the son of Makkah, and Joshaphat the Mithnite, Uzziah the Ashterathite, Shammah and Jael the son of Hotham the Ararite, Jediel the son of Shimri, and Joha his brother the Tizite, Eliel the Mahavite, and Jerobai and Joshaviah, the sons of Elnaam, Elnaam, and Ithma the Moabite, Eliel and Obed, and Josiel the Mezobite. And First Chronicles 12. Now these are the ones who came to David at Ziklag, while he was still restricted because of Saul, the son of Kish, and they were among the mighty men who helped him in war. They were equipped with bows using both the right hand and the left to sling stones and to shoot arrows from the bow. 
They were Saul's relatives from Benjamin. The chief was Ahiezer, then Joash, the sons of Shema, the Gibeathite, and Jeziel, and Pelet, the sons of Asmaveth, and Barakah, and Jehu, the Anathathite, and Ishmaiah, the Gibeonite, a mighty man among the thirty and over the thirty. Then Jeremiah, Jehaziel, Johanan, Josabad, the Gederathite, Eluzai, Jeremoth, Bealiah, Shemariah, Shevatiah, the Herophite, Elkanan, Ishaiah, Azarel, Joazer, Jashobiam, the Korahites, and Joelah and Zebediah, the sons of Jeroham of Gedor. From the Gadites, mighty men of valor separated themselves to David in the stronghold in the wilderness, men of war who had gone out for military duty, who could handle large shield and spear, and whose faces were like the faces of lions, and they were as swift as the gazelles of the mountains. Ezer was the first, Obadiah the second, Eliab the third, Mishmana the fourth, Jeremiah the fifth, Atai the sixth, Eliel the seventh, Johanan the eighth, Elzabad the ninth, Jeremiah the tenth, Machbanai the eleventh. These of the sons of Gad were chiefs of the army. He who was least was equal to one hundred, and the greatest to one thousand. These are the ones who crossed the Jordan in the first month when it was overflowing all its banks, and they made all those in the valleys flee, both to the east and to the west. Then some of the sons of Benjamin and Judah came to the stronghold to David. David went out before them, and he answered and said to them, If you come peacefully to me to help me, my heart shall be united with you. But if to betray me to my adversaries, since there is no violence in my hands, may the God of our fathers look on it and reprove. And the spirit clothed Amasai, who was the chief of the thirty. And he said, We are yours, O David, and with you, O son of Jesse. Peace, peace to you, and peace to him who helps you. Indeed, your God helps you. Then David received them and made them chiefs of the band. Now from Manasseh also came defect, also some defected to David when he was about to go to battle with the Philistines against Saul. But they did not help them, for the lords of the Philistines after counsel sent him away, saying, At the cost of our heads he may defect to his master Saul. As he went to Ziklag, there defected to him from Manasseh, Adna, Josabad, Jediel, Michael, Josabad, Elihu, and Zelathai, chiefs of thousands who belonged to Manasseh. They helped David against the marauding band, for they were all mighty men of valor and were commanders in the army. For day by day men came to David to help him, until there was a great camp like the camp of God. Now these are the numbers of the companies equipped for military duty who came to David at Hebron to turn the kingdom of Saul to him, according to the command of Yahweh. The sons of Judah who bore shield and spear were 6,800 equipped for military duty. Of the sons of Simeon, mighty men of valor for military duty, 7,100. Of the sons of Levi, 4,600. Now Jehoiada was the leader of the house of Aaron, and with him were 3,700. Also Zadok, a young man mighty of valor, and of his father's house, 22 commanders. Of the sons of Benjamin, Saul's relatives, 3,000, for until now the greatest part of them had kept their allegiance to the house of Saul. Of the sons of Ephraim, 20,800 mighty men of valor, men who had a name in their father's households. Of the half-tribe of Manasseh, 18,000 who were designated by name to come and make David king. Of the sons of Issachar, men who knew how to discern the time, to know what Israel should do, their chiefs were 200, and all their relatives were at their command. 
of Zebulun, there were 50,000 who went out in the army who could arrange themselves for battle with all kinds of weapons of war and help David with a, with an undivided heart. Of Naphtali, there were a thousand commanders and with them 37,000 with large shield and spear. Of the Danites who could arrange themselves for, for battle, there were 28,600. Of Asher, there were 40,000 who went out in the army to arrange themselves for battle. From the other side of the Jordan, of the Reubenites and the Gadites, and of the half-tribe of Manasseh, there were 120,000 with all kinds of weapons for the army for battle. All these, being men of war who could draw up in battle lines, came to Hebron with their whole heart to make David king over all Israel, and all the rest also of Israel were of one heart to make David king. They were there with David three days, eating and drinking, for their relatives had prepared for them. Moreover, those who were near to them, even as far as Issachar and Zebulun and Naphtali, brought food on donkeys, camels, mules, and an oxen, great provisions of flour, fig cakes, and bunches of raisins, wine, oil, oxen, and sheep. There was gladness indeed in Israel. All right, and now Hebrews 13. But love of the brothers continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. For by this some have entertained angels without knowing it. Remember the prisoners as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you yourselves also are in the body. Marriage is to be held in honor among all, and the marriage bed is to be undefiled. For the sexually immortal, immoral and adulterers God will judge. Make sure that your way of life is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you, so that we confidently say, The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be carried away by varied and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods through which those who were so occupied were not benefited. We have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no authority to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as an offering for sin are burned outside the camp. Therefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people through his own blood, suffered outside the gate. So let us go out to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. For here we do not have a lasting city, but we are seeking the one to come. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that confess his name. And do not neglect doing good and sharing, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account, so that they will do this with joy and not with groaning, for this would be unprofitable for you. Pray for us, for we are convinced that we have a good conscience, desiring to conduct ourselves well in all things. And I urge you all the more to do this, so that I may be restored to you the sooner. Now the God of peace, who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the eternal covenant, our Lord Jesus, equip you in every good thing to do his will, by doing in us what is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. But I urge you, brothers, bear with this word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. 
now that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom, if he comes soon, I will see you. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those from Italy greet you. Grace be with you all. Amos 7. Thus Lord Yahweh showed me, and behold, he was forming a locust swarm when the spring crop began to come up. And behold, the spring crop was after, was after the king's mowing. And it happened when it had completed eating the vegetation of the land that I said, Lord Yahweh, please pardon. How can Jacob rise up, for he is small? Yahweh relented concerning this. It shall not be, said Yahweh. Thus Lord Yahweh showed me, and behold, Lord Yahweh was calling to contend with them by fire, and it consumed the great deep and began to consume the farmland. Then I said, Lord Yahweh, please stop. How can Jacob rise up, for he is small? Yahweh relented concerning this. This too shall not be, said Lord Yahweh. Thus he showed me, and behold, the Lord was standing by a wall made with a plumb line, and in his hand was a plumb line. And Yahweh said to me, What do you see, Amos? And I said, A plumb line. Then the Lord said, Behold, I am about to put a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will pass over them no longer. The high places of Isaac will be desolated, and the sanctuaries of Israel laid waste. Then I will rise up against the house of Jeroboam with the sword. Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent word to Jeroboam, king of Israel, saying, Amos has conspired against you in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is unable to endure all his words. For thus Amos says, Jeroboam will die by the sword, and Israel will certainly go from its land into exile. Then Amaziah said to Amos, Go, you seer, flee away to the land of Judah, and there eat bread, and there do your prophesying. But no longer prophesy at Bethel, for it is a sanctuary of the king and a royal house. Then Amos answered and said to Amaziah, I am not a prophet, nor am I the son of a prophet, for I am a herdsman and a grower of sycamore figs. But Yahweh took me from following the flock, and Yahweh said to me, Go, prophesy to my people Israel. So now hear the word of Yahweh. You are saying, You shall not prophesy against Israel, nor shall you drip out words against the house of Isaac. Therefore thus says Yahweh, Your wife will play the harlot in the city. Your sons and your daughters will fall by the sword. Your land will be divided up by a measuring line, and you yourself will die upon unclean land. Moreover, Israel will certainly go from its land into exile. All right, and Luke 2. Now it happened that in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus for a census to be taken of all the inhabited earth. <clears throat> this was the first census taken while Quirinius was the governor of Syria. And everyone was going to be registered for the census, each to his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was betrothed to him and was with child. Now it happened that while they were there, the days were fulfilled for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the guest room. In the same region there was, were some shepherds staying out in the field and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I'm sorry, I do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all people. 
For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. And it happened that when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they went in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. And when they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about the ch- about this child. And all who heard it marveled at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary was treasuring all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds went back glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as was told them. When eight days were fulfilled, so that they could circumcise him, his name was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days for their cleansing, according to the law of Moses, were fulfilled, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and his name was righteous and devout, waiting for the comfort of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, then he took him into his arms and blessed God and said, Now, Master, You are releasing your slave in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of your people Israel. And his father and mother were marveling at the things which were being said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel and for a sign to be opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul as well, that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow to the age of eighty-four. She never left the temple, serving night and day with fastings and prayers. And at that very moment she came up and began giving thanks to God, and continued to speak of him to all those who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And when they had finished everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own city Nazareth. Now the child continued to grow and become strong, being filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon upon him. And his parents would go to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he became twelve years old, they went up there according to the custom of the feast. And as they were returning after finishing the days of the feast, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. But his parents did not know. But supposing him to be in the caravan, they went a day's journey, and they began searching for him among their relatives and acquaintances. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. And it happened that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were astounded at his understanding and his answers. 
When they saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Child, why have you treated us this way? Behold, your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. And he said to them, Why is it that you were searching for me? Did you not know that I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand the statement which he had spoken to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth, and he continued in subjection to them. And his mother was treasuring all these things in her heart. And Jesus was advancing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. All right, that is our Bible reading for the day. We're going to go ahead and close out with a prayer from Valley of Vision. It's called The Great God. O fountain of all good, destroy in me every lofty thought. Break pride to pieces and scatter it to the winds. Annihilate each clinging shred of self-righteousness. Implant in me true lowliness of spirit. Abase me to self-loathing and self-abhorrence. Open in me a fount of penitential tears. Break me, then bind me up. Thus will my heart be a prepared dwelling for my God. Then can the Father take up his abode in me. Then can the blessed Jesus come with healing in his touch. Then can the Holy Spirit descend in sanctifying grace. O Holy Trinity, three persons and one God, inhabit me, a temple consecrated to thy glory. When thou art present, evil cannot abide, and thy fellowship is fullness of joy. Beneath thy smile is peace of conscience. By thy side no fears disturb, no apprehensions banish rest of mind. With thee my heart shall bloom with fragrance. Make me meet through repentance for thine indwelling. Nothing exceeds thy power. Nothing is too great for thee to do. Nothing too good for thee to give. Infinite is thy might, boundless thy love, limitless thy grace, glorious thy saving name. Let angels sing for sinners repenting, prodigals restored, backsliders reclaimed, Satan's captives released, blind eyes opened, broken hearts bound up, the despondent cheered, the self-righteous stripped, the formalist driven from a refuge of lies, the ignorant enlightened, and saints built up in their holy faith. I ask great things of a great God. Amen. All right, well, that is our time this morning. I would pray that it will edify you and equip you through your day. And as I leave you every morning, go do all you do today for the glory of God. God bless. Welcome to the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. This podcast will be a sharing of part of my morning routine as I prepare for the day with the Word of God. We will be partaking of Puritan prayers from the Valley of Vision, each day's morning devotional from Charles Haddon Spurgeon's Morning and Evening, and we'll be reading from the Legacy Standard Bible, which is the newest and, I believe, the most accurate translation of the Word of God. We will be following a Bible reading calendar that provides for reading the whole Bible in a year that was created by Minister Robert Murray McShane for his congregation back in 1842, and that has been a part of my daily reading for over six years now. Good evening, and welcome to the evening section of the Friday, November 18th, 2022 episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I continue to be Wayne Floyd, your host, and we're going to go ahead and jump straight into this. Uh, We're going to open, um, shoot, I'm pointing the wrong thing. I'm sorry. We're going to open with another prayer from Valley Vision. Again, I'm trying to just kind of choose the ones in the middle other than the opening and closing for the day. I'm just 
kind of random to make sure we go through the whole valley vision so you're exposed to all of it. Um, so this is not necessarily depictive of anything, but we're going to start this morning. The prayer is called the dark guest. O Lord, bend my hands and cut them off for I have often struck thee with a wayward will. When these fingers should embrace thee by faith, I am not yet weaned from all created glory, honor, wisdom, and esteem of others. For I have a secret motive to eye my name in all I, all I do. Excuse me. Let me not only speak the word sin, but see the thing itself. Give me to view a discovered sinfulness, to know that though my sins are crucified, they are never wholly mortified. Hatred, malice, ill will, vainglory that hungers for and hunts after man's approval and applause, all are crucified, forgiven. But they rise again in my sinful heart. Oh, my crucified, but never wholly mortified sinfulness. Oh, my lifelong damage and daily shame. Oh, my indwelling and besetting sins. Oh, the tormenting slavery of a sinful heart. Destroy, O oh God, the dark guest within, whose hidden presence makes my life a hell. Yet thou hast not left me here without grace. The cross still stands and meets my needs. In the deepest straits of the soul, I thank thee that my remembrance of it is like David's sight of Goliath's sword, which preached forth thy deliverance. The memory of my great sins, my many temptations, my falls, bring afresh into my mind the remembrance of thy great help, of thy support from heaven, of the great grace that saved such a wretch as I am. There is no treasure so wonderful as that continuous experience of thy grace toward me which alone can subdue the rising of risings of sin within. Give me more of it. All right. And our evening devotion. Um... For this evening, from Spurgeon's Morning and Evening, the text for it is Psalm 93.2. Again, this is the uh, November 18th devotion, evening devotion. So again, Psalm 93.2, Thou art from everlasting. Christ is everlasting. Of him we may sing with David. Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. Rejoice, believer, in Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus always was. The babe born in Bethlehem was united to the world, which was in the beginning, by whom all things were made. The title by sorry, the title by which Christ revealed himself to John in Patmos was him which is and which was and which is to come. If he were not God from everlasting, we could not so devoutly love him. We could not feel that he had any share in the eternal love which is the fountain of all covenant blessings. But since he was from all eternity with the Father, we trace the stream of divine love to himself equally with his Father and the Blessed Spirit. As our Lord always was, so also he is forevermore. Jesus is not dead. He ever liveth to make intercession for us. Resort to him in all your times of need, for he is waiting to bless you still. Moreover, Jesus our Lord ever shall be. If God should spare your life to fulfill your full day of threescore years and ten, you will find that his cleansing fountain is still opened, and his precious blood has not lost its power. You shall find that the priest who filled the healing fount with his own blood lives to purge you from all iniquity. When, our, when only your last battle remains to be fought, you shall find that the hand of your conquering captain has not grown feeble. The living Savior shall cheer the dying saint. When you enter heaven, you shall find him there bearing the... sorry bearing the dew of his youth, 
and through eternity the Lord Jesus shall remain the perennial spring of joy and life and glory to his people. Living waters may you draw from this sacred well. Jesus always was, he always is, he always shall be. He is eternal in all his attributes, in all his offices, in all his might, and willingness to bless, comfort, guard, and crown his chosen people. Amen. All right. So as I indicated before, or or so as would be normal and has been what we've been doing here, we're going to be continuing on in our study of Ephesians this evening. Um, Hang on, I'm going to take some coffee. So last evening, we dealt with Ephesians 5.21 and being subject to one another in the fear of Christ. And we discussed what that submission was. Actually, I'm sorry, that wasn't last evening. That was the evening before. Sorry, the evening before we dealt with um, Ephesians 5.21, the being subject to one another in the fear of Christ. And we talked about that, how what we were talking about there is that we as Christians must walk. If we're walking truly filled with the Spirit, stacked on all the other walks we've talked about, that if we were truly filled with the Spirit, truly walking that way, truly being Christians, that we would walk in subjection, walk in submission, walk in humility towards one another. We would put each other's needs first. And we talked about the, the examples we saw there of Christ washing the feet of the disciples in the upper room and how, how, how humble he was being doing so. And then we saw Paul's declaration about Jesus in Philippians 2, 1 through 8, talking about him joyfully, talking about him submitting himself to the worst of the worst, the, the, the punishment that was meant for the lowest of the low, to pay the, pay the price for our sins. And then last night, we, we went into verse 22. Oh, I'm sorry. So, so anyway, so we were talking about joyfully submitting to our brothers and sisters in Christ. That, that was that pedestal that reaching that, that top, that pinnacle that now the rest of chapter five is going to build on. So last night we started into the next section and the verse was, um, Ephesians 5, 22 wives be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. And we, we spoke about what Paul was trying to address there that there was this massive wave of feminism, feminism, feminism across the church. And this is such a massive wave. You realize that. So if you don't know this letter to the Ephesians, Paul was writing from jail. Okay. And he was in jail for like five years total. Um, a couple of years in Jerusalem and then near a year traveling or something like that. And then another couple of years in Rome before he was released. Now this was his first imprisonment when he wrote the book of Ephesians, but he's in prison. But instead of writing about that, he sees this as such an issue that he has to write this again. We've talked about, he's not writing these things out in a vacuum. So when he's saying wives be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord, it's because there's a problem going on. And I spoke to you about that. There was such a massive, awful wave of feminism going on. And believe me, I'm, I'm not, I'm not saying that that way because I'm against equal rights and any of that kind of stuff. It's not that these were women that were, um, aggressively, I guess would be the right word, aggressively throwing aside their, their, 
um, responsibilities and their duties within their families and, and any, any kind of, um, submission to their husbands and any of that, they were taking this new supposed freedom offered by the Christian religion where everybody's equal and they were, they were warping it. They were sinning. They were blatantly sinning, sinning. And so we saw that. I mean, we, we see it. It's a, across these new Christian churches. We saw it in the, in the Cretan church and the, in the Galatian church here in the Ephesian church. I think we saw, um, Corinthian church. I think we saw it in the Corinthian church, but again, it's across church. We even saw Peter dealing with it when he's addressing the Jewish people throughout the diaspora. This is still an issue throughout there because Peter's letter was written a little bit later. So we, we saw that. And so we dealt, we were dealing with the characteristics of what this subjection is, what this wife being subject to your own husband is, um, as to the Lord. So we dealt with the first of the characteristics yesterday or last evening. So we're going to deal with the other two here. And we're going to deal with the rationale of the wife being subject to their her own husband in verse 23 and the extent of the wife being subject to their own her husband in verse 24. So verse 23, so I'll go ahead and we'll just read all three verses. So starting Ephesians 5, starting 22 through 24. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. The relationship between the husband and wife should be a reflection of the relationship between Christ and the church. For the husband is head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church he himself being the savior of the body. And John MacArthur says of this, as the Lord delivered his church from the dangers of sin, death, and hell, so the husband provides for, protects, preserves, and loves his wife, leading her to blessing as she submits. 1 Corinthians 11.3 But I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man, and the man is the head of a woman, and God is the head of Christ. MacArthur goes on, he, he speaks of this rationale, that the wife's supreme rationale for submitting to her husband is the fact that he is her functional head in the family, just as Christ also is the head of the church. This is what we're speaking of as the rationale. These are supposed to be representations, and that's the th that's part of the thing. And, and honestly, if we're truly walking this worthy walk, we should be aware of this. Um, we're supposed to be the set apart ones. We're supposed to be showing something totally different to this world. You and I both look at how horrific this society has become. They need the example of what a, a, an appropriate marriage looks like. And our marriages should look like the relationship that is supposed to be between Christ and the church, Christ and the body of Christ, the bride, the bridegroom Christ, and the bride, the body of Christ. That's what this is supposed to look like. So that's the rationale there behind it. Now, part of it is that the wife can be true, will be truly blessed by this. And it does happen, and, and we'll get to that as we move on. 
but there is truly a blessing within the family when the wife is subject to the husband as to the Lord, and then the husband loves the wife and, and truly act just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, that there's truly that proper relationship where those two are in their right place. So let's talk about the extent of the wife being subject to their own husband. Verse 24, but as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wife ought to be to their husband in everything. That's the extent. The extent to which the wife is to be subject to their own husband is in everything. However, please don't misunderstand, and too many people do, and they corrupt it. This doesn't imply a coercion by the husband to violate God's law or to abstain from practicing God's law. Okay? It's not that way. That's not what we're talking about. Christ doesn't do that to the body of Christ, to the church, does he? He doesn't ask us to violate God's law or to abstain from practicing God's law. So it's not okay for the husband to do that either. Again, this is not saying be in subjection to them for that. Too many people try to twist that and warp that. That's not what this is talking about. You are to lovingly um, disengage from that. And I don't think that's really the right word, but you are to wives. You are to lovingly refuse that you don't get nasty. Don't go. I mean, that that's not how a Christian should be behaving. We've talked about that through Ephesians four and what our behavior should be like. That applies here too. These are not happening separately. But we're living in a society where men and women, especially in the bonds of marriage, are aggressively hostile to fulfilling their God-ordained roles. We have folks running around in the church claiming that the verses we've dealt with today are simply the chauvinistic ravings of of a misogynist. And I've mentioned that for a couple of days now. Um, But of course, what that means is they either don't know don't understand or don't believe in the whole word of God. And I'm sorry, the fact is, whether you like it or not, either you believe all of the Bible or you don't believe any of it. I mean, you can say, well, I believe most of it, but I don't know about this and that. No, we don't get to pick and choose. That is not our place. We are given it and we are to believe it. And that's all there is to it. Genesis 2, 18 through 25. Then Yahweh, then Yahweh God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. And out of the ground, Yahweh God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky. And he brought each to the man to see what he would call it. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. And the man gave names to all the cattle and to the birds of the sky and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. So Yahweh God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. And Yahweh God fashioned the rib which he had taken from the man into a woman, and he brought her to the man. Then the man said, This one finally is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. This one shall be called woman, because this one was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and cleave to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. This makes clear the role of man and wife here. 
that the wife is to be a helper suitable for the man, that the, the, the woman is of the man's flesh, that the man and the woman should leave their father and mother and cleave to each other. This, this doesn't mean just join together in some kind of civil anything or, or anything. They become one flesh. It goes on and clarifies that. They shall become one flesh. They do. But they have their appropriate roles within that relationship. And while I know I'm leaning hard on what the woman's role here is, believe me, God willing, we'll be leaning hard on what the man's role is too. Because the sad fact is way too often in the church today, the men are not meeting the role. The women are, the men are not. And that's just sad. But in the world we live live in, um, Genesis 3, starting in verse 16, and this is, they've eaten the apple. Eve is eating the apple, has given it to Adam. He's eating it. So God comes to them and he says to the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your pain and conception. In pain, you will bear children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Then to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you saying, you shall not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you will eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread, till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So again, Eve left her role as helper, and Adam didn't exercise his role as the head. They both failed in their role within that that marriage, within that relationship there. And they were cursed because of it, along with a lot of other things that happened. And this is the thing. People miss this all the time. Verse 16, your desire will be for your husband. This is about Eve. God's saying about Eve, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. That's not talking about like a fleshly or an intimate desire. What that is speaking of is the desire will be to supplant your husband to take his place, for you to supplant him and take his place as the head of the family. For the women to take the place of the husband as the head of the family. And he will rule over you. The idea being there's going to be conflict there. And we see it today. That sounds exactly like what we're dealing with today. It is horrific in our world right now. Um, And honestly, it it just, it, it almost makes you want to be sick when you see it, but it sounds exactly like what's going on in our world. Um, I mean, think about it. Solomon, as he got older, you know, he, he, he seemed to so follow in the Lord's. If you read the story of Solomon, he was so in touch with the Lord, even to the point that when God asked him, what do you want? His answer was so perfect to God that God turned around and gave him that, the wisdom, and then blessed him with all the other things because he had made such a good, good, um, choice there. He had, he was so totally within the mind of God there, but he had been, and he had been such a wise and godly man, but he continued to marry pagan women. He shouldn't have been marrying any more than that anyways, but he continued to marry pagan women, hundreds of them. And when he got later, later in life, he failed to maintain his headship. And the wives were no longer subject to him. And they led him in all manner of directions away from God. And Israel fell as a consequence. The 
the the northern kingdom was broke away broke away from judah and the few that hung around and it fell apart um and we're seeing today the results of that throwing away of the god-ordained roles which within marriage throughout our society birth rates are plummeting i mean and, and unfortunately we got a party that wants to bring in a bunch of migrants into our country to try to puff up the birth rates but birth rates are plummeting in our country and honestly in our world it's not just our country but in our world we've got the murder of the unborn or even of, of the no longer wanted i mean there's been the cases of those in some countries of those with down syndrome being set up for a euthanasia um and this stuff is making the holocaust look look like a warm-up act um you know and that's horrific um but it but it's true i think we're now over 60 million unborn children slaughtered since Roe versus Wade went into effect. Um, though now we finally have that gotten rid of, but it, it didn't stop abortions and it, it wasn't really meant to getting rid of Roe versus Wade. But look at what we've got. We've got immorality skyrocketing. We've got books getting into schools that are speaking, um, that speak of transgenderism, that speak about sex to three, four, five, and six-year-olds. We got the culture disintegrating. God has been very clear what our roles are. And Christ here through the apostle, through the apostle Paul has commanded us to fill those roles. And of course, our verses today are, are that wives should be subject to their husband. And then, you know, on into the, um, the representation of it being like the church. showing us, you know, the rationale and the extent, this, this drives on into the corollary, husband loving their wives and, and all the other verses, which, like I said, many more verses for men than it is for women. But again, this is not Paul telling wives that they should be slaves to their husbands. We ha as Christians have got to throw aside this God dishonoring me first, totally self-focused mindsets that the current culture tries to push us into and advocates in the media and in our schools and workplaces. God is clear on the order of his creation, and we don't get to interpret it the way we want to or adjust it because it does not fit current culture. We don't get to do that. We as brothers and sisters in Christ are to subject ourselves to one another in the fear of Christ. We as husbands and wives, wives are to be subject to your husbands and husbands are to love your wives. Husbands are to truly be the heads of their families and the providers of their families. And I'm going to, God willing, I'm going to come back to that over the next couple of evenings. I, I, I pray. But wives, let me be clear. We husbands we need you as our helpers. You're why we are able to fulfill our roles as heads of our households, as the religious leaders in our households, as, as these spiritual leaders in our households. You're why we're able to do that. But we need you fulfilling your roles. So wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. And as it goes on in verse 24, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything, in everything. And we really, really need you to do that. Because without it, 
we can't fulfill our roles either. All right. That's going to do it for this evening. We're going to go ahead and close out with the six-day evening prayer, the mediator. O God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we hope in thy word. There we see thee, not on a fearful throne of judgment, but on a throne of grace, waiting to be gracious and exalted in mercy. There we hear thee saying, Not depart ye cursed, but look unto me and be ye saved. For I am God, and there is none else. They that know thy name put their trust in thee. How many now glorified in heaven, and what numbers living on earth are thy witnesses, O God, exemplifying in their recovery from the ruins of the fall, the freeness, riches, and efficacy of thy grace. All that were ever saved were saved by thee, and will through eternity exclaim, Not unto us, but unto thy name give glory, for thy mercy and truth's sake. Thou hast chosen to transact all thy concerns with us through a mediator, in whom all fullness dwells, and who is exalted to be prince and savior. To him we look, on him we depend. Through him we are justified. May we derive relief from his sufferings, without ceasing to abhor sin, or to long after holiness. Feel the double efficacy of his blood, tranquilizing and cleansing our, our consciences. Delight in his service as well as in his sacrifice. Be constrained by his love to live not to ourselves, but to him. Cherish a grateful and cheerful disposition, not murmuring and repining. If our wishes are not in indulged, or because some trials are blended with our enjoyments, but sensible of our desert and impressed with the number and greatness of thy benefits. May we bless and praise thee at all times. Amen. All right. Well, that's going to do it for the, this evening. Again, I hope you've had a good day and that you've truly walked glorifying God and all that you've done. I hope you have a good night's sleep and God willing, I'll see you in the morning. God bless. Thank you.